Welcome to Carolina's Mortgage Radio with Brandon Kohlberg. Fort Mill, Rock Hill, and Tiki K's number one show for mortgage and real estate. Brandon Kohlberg has been a mortgage advisor for over 14 years and is ready to assist you. Call Brandon now at 704-999-6646. Visit carolinasmortgageradio.com. And now, here is your host, Brandon Kohlberg. Hey, good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Carolina's Mortgage Radio, the number one radio show for mortgage and real estate. Got a great show lined up for you this Saturday. We have Melanie Outlaw in studio with us, Keller Williams Real Estate. Uh, Melanie, good morning. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. So we've had you here before, and it's certainly a pleasure to have you here again. You always bring a, uh, a wealth of knowledge to, uh, uh, to our listeners, and we appreciate that. Thank you. I try. Absolutely. So, so tell us, uh, give us a little bit uh, a background of Melanie Outlaw. Kind of give us um, uh, how the year's been going so far in the real estate market and uh, kind of get us up to speed. Okay, well, great. So 2019, our team ended up closing 68 uh, transactional sides, and we've had some growth with bringing on a director of operations for the team that's helped solidify um, some gaps in services um, so that we as agents could do more client-based services rather than transactional things. And we have two new agents on our team. So Melanie Outlaw and Associates is growing and expanding the services that we're able to provide. Well, big congratulations to you. You've always been uh, quite the hustler ever since I, I've known you. You you get out and hustle. Anybody who knows uh, knows you, I'm sure, knows this about you. How has that process been with um, you know with the, with the team growth? You're kind of hiring some hustlers as well. So it has been challenging because I'm not one that likes to delegate. Yeah. And so for me, it's been really hard. It's been hard to maintain business and productivity for myself while I'm helping agents um, get established in the industry, too. The agents that we've recruited have been brand new, but that has also been a passion that I've been wanting to do. I've started doing some national real estate coaching and have coaching clients around the country. And so this is just another objective and a goal of mine that I've been able to to do and, and help um, – offset some of my knowledge to help other people. Yeah, I, I feel I, I do some mortgage coaching uh, with other loan officers, and I've always felt that, you know, the more I'm able to coach, uh, it, obviously it's great for them. They're, they're getting uh, what I hope is and what I think is very valuable coaching, but it's always been great for me. You know, I, I think uh, you go back to um, this philosophy of getting better at anything you want to study, practice, and teach, right? So, you know, as you study yourself, you begin to you practice it, and then you begin teaching others, right? And I think that creates so much value for, for me personally. I'm sure it does for you too. And then, of course, I'm able to translate that into working with my uh, clients, as I'm sure you are. And it just uh, it just provides a uh, – I get better at what I do. And, of course, so, so the client has a much better experience from, from me. Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, when you have coaching clients and a team that's sitting here looking at you and you're preaching, you need to do this, we need to live by a perfect daily schedule, we need to time chunk, we need to make so many calls within the day that then you're being looked at. So you have to do what you're leading other people to do as well. So I think it just strengthens, you're exactly right, it just strengthens that talent and that skill. Right, then it becomes really uh, uh, a leadership role, right? Because you uh, want to be doing what 
again, what you're, what you're preaching. And so you want to lead by example. So uh, I think coaching is uh, such a valuable um, perspective from, from all angles, all sides, the, the, the coach, the, the student, and then of course the, the, the end client who gets to be uh, use this team uh, of people, uh, whether it be real estate or mortgage or whatever else they're doing in life, having a, a team of qualified individuals and um, supporting that is hugely beneficial. It has been, and it's been exciting. It's been a new facet for me to learn. I had been in a consulting role for nonprofits um, so real estate, doing it in the real estate industry has been really new. So it's been fun. Well, excellent. Well, hey, uh, let's kind of get into the uh, the mortgage, the real estate side of things. En- yes. Enough about uh, us and, and uh, let's get a dig into it. So if you've got questions during or after the show, be sure to give us a call. Brandon Kohlberg, I'm your host, 704-999-6646. We've got Melanie Outlaw in studio with us. So, Melanie, you do uh, and work with a, a lot of first-time home buyers. I do. Give us the rundown on, on kind of that market. Uh, what's taking place in that market? What are the questions that uh, they that they seem to have most often? And kind of let's let's get it kicked off. Okay, great. So uh, we do see a lot of first-time home buyers, people getting out of college or starting a first-time job, um, and they're wanting to either get out of the the rental unit into to purchasing and so that's something that we coach them on and educate them is the difference between renting and having a property that you can build equity in and what that wealth looks like. So we talk about wealth and how that's established through real estate and so when you're paying rent you're essentially building wealth for someone else. But when you buy a home you're building that wealth for yourself. It's something that you can walk away from and have equity in and put that put those dollars towards something else um do you do you have those statistics on you about you know the difference uh between the the net worth of homeowners versus people who are renting i don't have that statistic on me right now but as we're talking i can look it up (laughs) it it, it is a it is a big big difference right yes you know talking about building wealth it's certainly you know one of the things that we talk about and care about uh often you know we we want our clients, uh, the people that we work with, and everybody in general, honestly, to succeed financially. And uh, you know, having a, a home, calling a, having your own home, uh, and that's property finance is a, is a big piece of that pie uh, on your um, path to you know financial independence or uh, financial well being. And one of the things too that we're having to coach our first time home buyers in is, you know housing prices have increased astronomically over the past few years right right so when we get a first time home buyer that's approved for 170 to 220 the homes that they see or that we can show them that they qualify for may not be exactly what's ideal to them right away and as we never want a buyer to feel like they're settling for a home at the same time, we coach them as it's not really settling, it's stepping stones. Buy now what you can and what you can afford. It may not be perfect, and then sell it in two to three years. Build that equity, build that wealth, and then go into a home that is more desirable for what your needs are. That's still better than throwing your money away on rent. I, I think, you know, by, by any statistical measure, again, you know, owning a home is, is so much better than um, than renting. There's some instances where you know if you're on a 
job transfer, you know, it's only a year. Well, you know, you may need to rent and that may be better for you. But in, in most instances, owning a home is so much better. With, with first-time home buyers, Melanie, how do you kind of get them to that level where maybe they're maybe they're younger, maybe they don't have uh, lots of savings built up, maybe their you know income is on the rise, and of course home home prices are uh, and have increased. How do you get them to a point where they may not need it's not settling, but maybe buy a home that they don't quite. Young people these days have big. Uh, visions of grandeur when when looking at a home, right? How do you kind of maybe assuage that just a little bit and, hey, this is your starter home in a few years as your income grows, as you save more and practice good financial management, you know, you can move up. So different um, perspectives, I guess, for different people. Some people, they just really believe what we say. They understand it. They look at the homes that we're sending to them. They come to it and they just understand the logic behind it. While some buyers don't understand that, they think that unicorn property is going to come come out and reveal itself just because they want to buy a home. Which And, and sometimes it may, but sometimes it takes working with a buyer a month to two months, showing them property so they can really get an idea of what they're going to get for their money. Right. So, so uh, you're getting out showing uh, properties to uh, to a lot of first time home buyers, and they're kind of just beginning to develop a feel for what's out there. Right. Excellent. And letting so, them see firsthand right. that what we're saying, you know, is true. Yeah. So uh, I still get the questions from a lot of first time home buyers. Well, I'm looking for a you know foreclosure. You know, I think uh, I think it's still fairly prevalent out there that. Uh, um, there's these fantastic deals that exist that maybe no one else is looking at, uh, and they, is that still what, what kind of you're seeing, or is have people, first-time homebuyers, kind of moved off of that and realized that those foreclosed properties are kind of uh, uh, history now? So we don't get a whole lot of calls as much as what we used to about foreclosures. Um, what has happened now is the foreclosed homes are selling almost as, just as much as any other home. So it's not like they're getting pennies on the dollar or such a discount that it's going to make a, a difference. Um, another thing that's really big too, especially in Lancaster County where we have tri-county, we're in a tri-county area so the USDA loan program is different in York County versus Lancaster County where the whole county right now is still identified as a USDA eligible in terms of location. Um, so if we get buyers who are interested in foreclosures, the next step is what condition is that property going to be in and what type of work is it going to need? What loan type is it going to qualify for? So it's really important for us to get our buyers pre-qualified and know exactly what loan type they're getting into because that factors, you know, down payment, the condition of the property. There's so much more that goes into it other than they're just pre-approved. And with an extended great market that we're in and 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 uh, and have been in for a while more and more investors come out uh, it, it almost seems like uh, the more investors are out you know that the maybe uh, the more cautious you should be but because it just seems like there's so many investors out there right now in, in the real estate market that are snatching up any of these properties or at least driving up the uh the demand for these properties and so they so which of course drives up uh, home prices and valuations are you seeing that? Are you are you competing more and more uh, than ever with investors who may be paying cash and kind of eliminating some of these first time home buyer markets? 
There is a competition there, but even still for the investors, they're having a hard time right now finding deals. So when we talk about... The deals are few and far between now. They are. Yep. So even our investors are having a hard time. I think now what we're seeing are the investors buying lots and they're building spec homes. And that seems to be more of where that trend is going. We're seeing more of that more so than housing flips. You you do work with a lot of investors and and, and some builders uh, in the Lancaster area. Are is that market driven towards the first time home buyer market, or are they producing? Do you feel like the the new construction market uh, for our area is producing enough first time home buyer product? So I think, and we were actually having this conversation this morning with a builder that I do work with. Lancaster County is about to hit a boom in building. And um, with builders coming in, you've got Lennar coming in, you've got Adams Homes coming in, um, and then you've got the builders who's been there that's just building in different locations that have land that has the infrastructure there, they're ready to build. So it's it's going to be huge. Um, what we are finding is that prices are still increasing because the lack of, right? Those properties right. are becoming very limited, the investors and the builders have come and built and, and buying those up. So that's going to increase the value. It was just on an article today that I read, due to the lack of inventory, pricing continues to increase. So what happens with that is you have first-time home buyer who can only be approved for 80 or 120, 150 even. It makes it really difficult. So you hear about the millennials, they're spending their money on experiences more so than housing. And I think a lot of that is affordability plus college debt. Sure. You're listening to Carolina's Mortgage Radio. I'm your host, Brandon Colbert. Call us anytime during or after the show, 704-999-6646. We have Melanie Outlaw with Kettlewoman's Real Estate here in studio with us. Uh, So Melanie, you, you had mentioned USDA earlier. Uh, kind of give us a, a description of uh, you talked about the different uh, areas in Lancaster, York, um, that uh, all of you Lancaster being USDA eligible. What exactly does that mean? And what is the USDA program? So we have done several deals together and yeah. USDA is probably the number one. Um, there are some agents that don't like to deal with the USDA program. I for one love it. Um, so what that means is a buyer, regardless if you're a first time home buyer or you've bought homes before, um, can get a home at 100% financing, which means no money down. There are stipulations on that loan, uh, location being one, but again, Lancaster County as a whole, it still falls within that location criteria, but then the condition of the home makes a difference right. too. Yeah, and, and it certainly is a fantastic loan program. It, you know, If uh, if you uh, qualify, again, if you're, if you're looking at an, a USDA eligible area, which, which, which only means... Um, the, the census and the, the population density of that geographical area, if it is below, uh, you know, a certain number, then it would qualify uh, for the USDA program. So it's got some income restrictions uh, as well, but uh, very, very high income it, it allows. So it does become a very fantastic deal with no money down, 100% financing. Uh, rates are very good on on that prop product and the uh, the annual mortgage insurance is is very low, so it ends up being a, a fantastic deal, especially for first time home buyers. Yes, we love it. What uh, what other loan programs are, are your first time home buyers kind of taking advantage of? USDA and FHA 
as the biggest. And FHA, of course, is the 3.5% down. But the credit score and the debt-to-income ratio, you have a lot more play there. For sure, yeah. USD, it can be uh, somewhat restrictive on debt ratios, uh, you know, debt-to-income ratios, whereas FHA certainly uh, allows a, a much um, broader uh, or maybe even higher debt-to-income ratio. Uh, so it can get a lot more people approved. Obviously, it requires a 3.5% down payment, whereas USDA is 100%. So uh, it's a great option, too, just, um, you know, once we take an application, and of course, Melanie, we, we've taken lots of applications uh, of your clients. So once we review that, kind of to go over the different options with uh, with the clients and kind of review and um, pros and cons of each particular product, and so maybe even conventional loan, and um, put all those options together. Right, and I love how you guys will go through those scenarios and figure out what is the best for the client. So whether the client's looking for the lowest down payment, um, the lowest monthly payment, what that looks like, it's client-specific and not just – you guys don't – it's just not across the board. It's per client basis. We do what we can. I know. So, so Melanie, what uh, with the first-time home buyers that you work with, what are the uh, top two, three, four questions that, that they all have during the process of buying a home and getting financing? So the biggest thing is, is what their monthly payment is going to be. So I always stress to them, you might have a buyer who's qualified to buy a home up to $200,000, but at the end of the day, they don't realize that just because they're qualified for that, of what their payments may end up being per month. So then it's getting into what their budget is and really digging in deep for that and making sure that, yes, they can afford a $200,000 home, but do they want to afford that $200,000 home and make sure they're comfortable with the monthly payment? Another question is taxes and insurance and how that's lumped together in escrows. Yeah. Go, going back to the, the monthly payment, there with all the different loan products out there, there, there are different ways to maybe you know structure a loan to take advantage of maybe a lower inter, uh, a, a lower payment versus lower interest rates. There, there's several different factors to consider um, when looking at that, and that's actually a question that uh, that ask our clients. Um, you know, what's more important to you? You know, monthly payment or interest rate, or because uh, there there are a few different ways to look at how we structure the loan to maybe maximize the the monthly payment above anything else. So, and of course, you know, when we're when we're talking about that monthly payment, of course, we're we're including the homeowner's insurance and property taxes, um, along with just the principal and interest payment for the mortgage. Because uh, when you make your mortgage payment, typically you're escrowing your insurance and taxes, which just means that you're including that into your monthly payment. And the mortgage company is paying your annual tax bill and annual homeowner's insurance rate when they come due. Uh, so that's something that we, you know, we, of course, go through with every client uh, and give them the total payment that they're going to be making every month. Yeah, so that's a big question. The other question that I get is how much money am I going to have to bring to closing and what all fees are included in that? It's kind of an important one. Yes. So, um, and I try really hard when negotiating, especially for my first time home buyers, to try to get the seller to pay for their closing costs for them. Talk about that. How how does that work and, and, and how do you set that up? So, rule of thumb for me is that closing cost is typically going to be $5,000. Just that's 
It's a good ballpark figure. My number that yep. I have in my head. And so what we're doing when we're writing the offer is and and a lot of times too, first time home buyers don't understand this. Let's say hypothetically that the house is two hundred thousand dollars, that's what it's priced at on the market. But then they go in and ask for five thousand dollars to be paid on their behalf from the seller for closing cost. The buyer buyers typically don't understand that there's like a five thousand dollar offer reduction that they're offering. So that's something that I have to go in and explain too because they want to go in and offer a little bit off the sales price and then still ask for $5,000 in closing costs and ask for a warranty. And I have to explain, if you go in and offer full price, 2000 and then you still ask the seller to pay 5000 that's really like you making an offer of 195 thousand. So explaining that. So that's typically what we do. Um, sometimes it doesn't work, especially in our market when things are moving really quick and a seller's going to get what they're asking for without any concessions. So then we try to just get really creative with how we're writing it up and things that we're offering as a buyer. What, what are those some some of those things they're doing to make it, you know, to get creative, to make your uh, offer more appealing to the seller in a, in a hot market like we're in? So a lot of the times it could just be um, things that like inspection, the inspection period, you could get really creative with how you want to negotiate that. Um, it could be to increase the sales price and then still ask for those closing costs if the buyer can qualify for that. Um, and then some buyers don't understand that $5,000, adding $5,000 to a contract price, we're talking nickels and dimes on their monthly payment. And so that's something else that we're educating the buyers on, too, is that when you think of $5,000 over the period of 30 years for 12 months, for those 30 years, we're talking very small differences to getting them in the home. Yeah, a good rule of thumb for for every uh, $1,000, uh, additional $1,000 finance, it's about $5 a month. So if we're talking, you know, if you're haggling with the seller, you know, over you know, let's say $2,000 and you can't, you know, kind of bridge that gap, that $2,000 is really going to cost you about 10 bucks a month, you know, two cups of coffee a month. Um, when you break it down that way, it kind of, oh, okay, we, we can make this deal happen uh, to kind of bridge that gap for, because again, it is a hot market. Uh, values are going up. Sellers do get more multiple offers out there. So making sure that your offer is competitive. And of course it starts working Starts with working like uh, with a professional agent like yourself, Melanie, uh, who know, who knows and understands the market, what it's doing, and is able to count, uh, counsel and coach your client on you know what uh, is an attractable offer. Another thing too is making sure that you work with an agent who has a great relationship with the lending company and the preferred lender. And sometimes it takes that partnership to make that deal work. What other costs? for closing can we reduce right what can we do to make this work out and i know that you and i on a couple different occasions getting into multiple offers and having buyers who need that closing cost assistance we were getting shot down and i would call you and say what can we do where can we get creative with this what fees can we cut to make this happen and and we've been able to work it out we always do and give us a call anytime during or after the show if you want to uh, if you want us to work out a deal for you as well. 704-999-6646. I'm your host Brandon Colbert. We've got Melanie Outlaw in the studio with us. Um, do you find Melanie that your first home home buyers have a more difficult time getting uh, getting financing than than you do your 
your move up buyers or seasoned buyers? Not really. Not a problem with getting pre-qualified. The issue that we come across sometimes is the down payment. It comes with the closing cost and what assistance is required. When you have a move-up buyer, they're selling a home. Most of the time, they're getting equity out and can do that themselves. Sure. First-time home buyers, unless there's a savings account or a trust fund or something unique where this 22, 23, 24-year-old um, has a significant amount of savings, most of the time they just need that support to get into that home. Right, and, and that, that, that's where a program like a USDA loan program with 100% down or you know FHA loan with or conventional loan with some possible down payment assistance can kind of help bridge that gap. Uh, sometimes, you know, with some down payment assistance programs, they're they're a little bit misleading. They're a little bit too expensive, uh, but uh, but they are certainly out there and can be a uh, a useful tool. If you have you know a four hundred one k loan, of course you have you know four hundred one k loans that you can withdraw from or gifts from family and friends are uh, allowable on these particular loan programs. So there's lots of different ways to maybe potentially come up with it. And of course, it starts with. You know, just good personal financial management, something that we talk about on the show quite often and budgeting and making sure that uh, you're you know, in a good position to buy because we don't want you to buy a home if you can't uh, be uh, uh, on good behavior financially well, yeah, and, and, and get yourself in trouble. And that's why I really coach my first time home buyers just because you're pre-qualified for this. Is this what you want your payments to be? Each month, because the right. last thing I want to see is a first-time home buyer get into a home and not be able to afford it, or they're getting into something that they weren't really expecting. Right, or they got to cancel their vacation plans or something like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so Melanie, working with the first-time home buyers, how are they? Uh, we we hear often about uh, first-time home buyers going online first. How do you feel that uh, these first-time home buyers are finding their real estate agents and, and or their uh, lenders? So we get a lot of buyers who have inquired on um, online through different platforms and we reach out to them or they like a referral. We get a lot of referrals from other home buyers or home sellers um, and then just people that we know that we've worked with in the community. So we, we get buyers from a different from a lot of different platforms. Um, So once they get with us, we always encourage them to go and do the pre-qualification part. Um, First, we do let them know that they can work with any lender they choose. However, we do have a preferred lender that we work with, um, and we love working with you guys because of your accessibility. If you know that I work on Sundays, you know I work on Saturdays, and I work after 6 o'clock, and having a Monday through Friday lender sometimes is just not, enough yeah and typically it's not a, you know what we do tends to involve working on other people's schedules right which tends to be working evenings and weekends right right and so you know when, when you don't have that set up when you can't be flexible if you're in real estate or, or in mortgage you could you know maybe cause a client to lose a deal or because houses are going so quickly multiple offers if you don't have a uh, a lender or an agent who's working uh, those off hours, you know, you're you're kind of putting yourself at risk on losing some potential deals. Absolutely, like, and I've called you several times on Sundays. 
and always and take the call. Make it work and get it, get what we need and get that buyer under contract. So Sundays are my busiest days, and so it's important for me to have a lender who's willing and able to work the same hours that we're working with our clients. I'm always willing, not always able. You always find a way. I find a way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so. Um, anything else that we didn't cover on the first time home buyer market, uh, Melanie? I mean, I know you work uh, consistently with uh, with that uh, uh, group. And uh, anything we didn't cover? I think that's pretty much it, unless there were any questions. All right, fantastic. So uh, another uh, thing that we've encountered recently are, are having after we've helped somebody purchase a home uh, on my side, help them finance it. Maybe they have some issues down the road. And we've kind of encountered this recently where they uh, may be looking at getting a divorce, uh, something that we've encountered. Talk to us about that and what uh, what can people kind of expect in that process when they have to decide what to do with a home? So sometimes when we are working with a couple that's seeking to go through a divorce or the process has already started or it's even after the fact, it really is case by case. There are some couples that we work more with the divorce attorneys more so than we work with them individually. Um, then there's some that's very friendly. We it, it, Things are simple, but then sometimes things aren't. Um, so it gets down and finding out how or what the situation is at hand. And for us, it's always being fair to the couple, not giving one preferential treatment or communicating with one more so than the other. So we put them on a group text or a group email, and if we notify one, they both get notified. And then um, I always tell them, like, we're, we're texting and this is business. You're hiring me to sell your home. I don't want to hear what he's done. I don't want to hear what she's done. And we're keeping it, keeping it business. So some of that's the conversation that you people tend to think, especially when you're going through a situation right this where your stability is kind of taken out from underneath you um, and perception kind of gets put in people's minds that we're talking to one over the other or we're giving insight to one person more so than the other. So for us, it's just making sure that we're very clear and transparent, speaking with the husband and the wife. Um, so... What does that process look like? If you've got a, you've helped a couple purchase a home, and for whatever reason things don't work out, and they they've decided that they're gonna they're getting divorced, they're selling the home. What does that process look like? Is it similar to selling any other home? Uh, but what does it look like for them? Yeah, so it's just like selling in any other home. They sign, you know, whoever's on the deed is who signs the listing agreement. They're the ones that have to sign the contract. Um, it's just finding out if the closing attorney, or not the closing attorney, but the divorce attorney um, needs to uh, approve anything. So sometimes the contract has to go through them and we have to wait on third-party approval. Um, sometimes it's just waiting for that okay from that attorney. Sometimes it's seeing what the the divorce decree says and making sure that we're going by the way that their court order says that needs to be handled. So sometimes it's, it's really case by case depending on the situation. And unfortunately, the, the majority of the calls I get when, and, and I get those calls, uh, you know, too frequently, quite often, um, there's one party who uh, is leaving and the other party, you know, was kind of unaware, right? And so for those situations, somebody's trying to keep the house, somebody's trying to get their name off the house, 
So I do I, I do these with refinances where under that case, what is it? Um, what does that process look like when when they're trying to sell, but maybe someone's trying to uh, to hang on to the house? Have you ever encountered that? Yes, a lot. Um, and so what happens is just again, just advising them what they're as far as what I can do. Like I'm not a lawyer, so. Sometimes I can't answer all of their questions, but one in particular stands out to me. Uh, the gentleman, uh, they had bought their home on a VA loan and um, went to try to refinance, and the income was different from when he bought it. The interest rate was not going to be the same, and he just couldn't afford to do it by himself. They had tried, or he had tried to keep it. Um, so... Unfortunately, he couldn't. We had to sell, but there was an agreement between the two that made it very simple. And at that point, there was no attorney involved. It was very cordial, and um, sometimes an appraiser has to be brought in outside of the transaction to determine the value. Value, sure. Right, because I'm not an appraiser either. Right. So um, sometimes that has to happen. It's just really hard. It's really case by case based on the situation based on what they've done already if there is two attorneys involved if they're just doing mediation um, if there's already been an agreement in place if there's a divorce decree and then making sure that the closing attorney has those documents prior to closing so there's a lot more to it other than just signing a listing agreement it's doing a lot of research and knowing exactly what's going on with that property and if one party can buy it out and then sometimes that's when you have to get an appraiser to come in to determine the value and then based on their divorce decree or their agreement how much the other one should get and then that's really where you would come into play more with the refinance than them selling yeah so, so definitely a situation where you want a team of of experts working on uh, on your behalf to kind of guide you through the process because that you know, divorce is hard enough. You know, selling a house by itself it can be hard enough. You add all these things and, and attorneys, and and uh, you want someone um, who's really looking out for the, the the best interest of getting that property sold. And it's, I would think, for the best interest of everybody. You know, we profess that a lot of our job is taking stress off the client. Sure. And when you have a divorced couple that's divorcing, again, their stability is is not what they're used to. They're they're having to find a new normal. Sometimes it's not them. That's the only ones that's been affected. For sure. If that situation maybe describes your current predicament uh, or you need some uh, some guidance, give it, give us a call, 704-999-6646. I'm your host, Brandon Colberg. We'd be happy to help answer any questions that you may have uh, about that uh, potential. Uh, Melly, what are some of the other kind of unique situations that people, you know, maybe come up every now and then but aren't keenly aware of? Um, so I do a lot of probate. I do a lot of state sales. Okay, work so very closely yeah, des- with probate. Describe that process because a very, very unique and, and uh, probably a situation where clients maybe haven't heard too much about that. What does that mean? So what that means is when a loved one has died and they have an heir who um, could be over their property, um, takes it and they want to sell it and put the proceeds towards the estate. Gotcha. So how does that process work? Is that a situation where maybe like a parent uh, who's who's living in a house, you know, older in age, 
passes away and they're kind of kids that are the heirs of that estate, whatever, now I have to decide what to do with the home? Right. So sometimes it's as black and white as the deceased has put it in their will that the heir has permission to sell. If they have permission to sell written in their will, even while the house is in probate, it can be sold. They have permission. We don't have to do anything more to that. If the will is written and there's no permission to sell, there's nothing about the house in the will, that's when there has to be a court hearing and it has to be approved to be able to be sold. And then sometimes that's when an appraiser has to be brought in or a lot of the times they'll take my market analysis and that's sufficient. Right. How involved can that process get if... Or what is the difference if maybe someone has a will versus doesn't have a will? We, we had uh, Trey Nance with, with Nance Law Firm here on the show last week, actually, and we talked about these particular cases. What does that look like on your end? So let me go back to this one example. Um, when we talk about when, when you buy property, like Brandon, you and your wife, you probably have a right of survivorship deed. Right. Right. So if one of you passes, probate doesn't have to be involved at all. That house forfeits probate. It automatically goes to the one spouse that's surviving. So that's a great thing when it comes to not having to deal with probate. It completely eliminates that. It's going to save you money. It's going to save you time. It's going to, you know, if you were to have another spouse or someone in your wife's family, if something were to happen to her and they wanted to dispute the will, if she had a will, that could hold things up. But if you have that right of survivorship deed, it makes it very clean. So, so it's all about how you hold title to that property. Potentially, okay. yes. So, for example, we just sold one that is an estate sale. Um, it was a gentleman's mother. She passed away. He was the only child, so he would have been the only heir. Um, the mom had a will. But it didn't say anything in there about selling the home. So knowing that that mother's intentions were probably he could do whatever he wants to do with the home, right? Sure. So had I been around and had advised them, I would have said, put your mom and your and your son, do a right of survivorship deed. There was no mortgage on the home. Have a right of survivorship deed. And that way, if the mother were to pass, the home automatically goes to the son. There's no probate, no courts, no fees, no charges. Now that house is going to be held in probate for eight months. Yes, we sold it because he had court hearing to say we could sell it. But now those proceeds have to go sit in an account in a state fund for eight months until probate closes. No so kidding. No kidding. So there's ways around this to make this very simple and very clean based on what you want to happen to your home when you pass away. So what was the sales price of that home? 175 So 175000 sitting in an account that... He is, can't do anything with. he can't with. do anything with. Right. Wow. Especially you know, in, a, in a market such as this where, you know, uh, when, when was that? Just... Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So very fresh. So, you know, by any measure, I think the economy is going to continue to, you know, look good, you know, knock on wood this year. I mean, that, that could potentially cost him, you know, even greater amounts of money by not being in the market or not going to pay off debt or, you know, whatever. So whatever he would want to do with it, it's sitting there now. And, and so. And he's having to pay probate. And how so, much is that? 
I don't know the exact cost. I guess it will depend on what all is included, like what all assets she had. Now, with me, I only dealt with the real estate portion of it. Um, so I don't want to give you a figure and it be wrong. And I guess for every person, it's going to be different based on how many heirs, if they have to petition the court to sell. Yeah. So, um, but for him, we we did have to do a petition to be able for him to sell it. He would have been the only heir if she would have just had him on the deed with a right of survivorship. He would be saving a lot of money right now. That is so interesting. Um, certainly, uh, I would be furious if I had 175000 sitting in somebody else's account I couldn't touch or invest or use to pay down debt or do what uh, do whatever with. So just a simple uh, change to the, to the deed could, uh, could alleviate that. Totally. Totally well, alleviate it. Right. Or if you have a will, which everyone should. Absolutely. And you have real estate. However you want that to be dispersed, whether you have one heir or ten heirs, if you only have one heir, do the right of survivorship deed. It takes probate away from that real estate altogether. But if you have one to ten heirs and you have a will, at least put in there that they're allowed to sell the home and it can be divided up however that person chooses for it to be divided up. Because it will make life so much easier for the heirs that's left. For sure. If you think you're going to be passing away soon or you have a loved one who may be. uh, That is not even right. (laughs) Give us a call, 704-999-6646. We will help you uh, set up a will or um, set up uh, the the proper way to title your property so that you don't have these particular issues that uh, that Melanie is bringing to our attention. Call us anytime, 704-999. 9996646 and certainly if you plan on living for a long time still give us a call 704-999-6646 I'm your host Brandon Colbert we got Melanie Outlaw here in the studio with us but man, I'm I'm totally shocked Melanie that, that uh, uh I wasn't aware that that was actually uh how it went down Yes Anything else uh, any other crazy uh things that you've dealt with recently we've talked about the divorce the probate uh very very helpful and useful information even though it may be not something that you hear about uh, or encounter every day. It's certainly those cases. And, and we talked about this on the show last week with, with, uh, with Trey Nance, just the, the right type of, uh, of title insurance perspectives, this type of thing, to make sure that you're always well covered. Those are the types of situations that um, can really almost ruin you. Right. I mean, and you never know. Right. We never know when our time is up. So just protect yourself, protect your assets, especially if you have real estate that you know you want. You don't like like me. If something were to happen to me and my husband, then by all means, sell our house, let our children do whatever they want to do. And so if that's the case, just make sure that you have in your will that they have permission to sell, because if not, they're going to end up selling anyway, more than likely. It's just more of a process and it's going to cost more money and more money. And more money and more time um, and more effort. So when you pass away, there's going to be a personal representative over the estate. Whether you have one heir, ten heirs, there's going to be that PR. And so we sell these homes just like any other home. We go through repairs and inspection periods just as if it's any other home. It's just that PR is who we work with as the initial seller and the person that can sign everything. 
Have you had a situation where there's been multiple heirs and and uh, so if, you know someone passes away, they've got the house, um, maybe it was set up correctly, maybe it wasn't, and they got to go through this long ordeal. Is it much harder when you're dealing with multiple heirs? You, you gave the story of just one heir, probably fairly simple, but what does it look like when there's you know multiple heirs on an estate? So you're still going to have only one personal representative of that estate. So, for example, we listed um, my friend. It was her mom's home, and it was her and her brother. Uh, she was the PR over the estate. So the PR has final say. And that's just personal representative. That's personal representative of the estate. Okay. So, you know, when things happen and there's deaths and divorces, that's almost when your family goes nuts. And there's always going to be that one person. If that, they weren't already. If they were not already. Right. Um, but you're going to have that one person that just doesn't want to agree with anything. But that personal representative has final say, and that personal representative can sign off on any documentation that I need them to sign off on. So the whole gist of it is how the will is written up, if they have permission to sell or if they do not have permission to sell. Got it. Make sure you got permission to sell. Well, and the whole thing is you may not have permission to sell just because there's no, no verbiage in your will. It doesn't have to say, here's my house, but you don't have permission to sell. It could just be nothing about the house, and maybe the attorney or maybe you did your will yourself and you just didn't think about it. You didn't put any verbiage in there. You didn't care. Um, But that's where I want to educate people. Know what you want to leave behind when it comes to your real estate, and I'm more than happy to assist whoever in how that needs to be written up or where that needs to be documented. So let's let's stay on this for uh, another minute. So going back to your example, when – the probate court takes that money. They allow the sale, but they take that money and hold it in their account for eight months. So it's not in their account. Well, so well but not not in the. the it's heir, in an estate sale. Is an estate sale. I mean, an estate account. Right. But why are they holding that money? Why why not release those funds? Because for eight months, probate is going through and seeing if there's any debts sure. that need to be claimed from the deceased. So any money that's put into that estate account, that's how those debts are paid. So at the end of the eight months, whatever money is left there, that's what's distributed. Useful information. Okay, very good. Any, uh, Melanie, you, you got some crazy situations there. We appreciate you sharing that. Any other any other uh, topics that, uh, that have kind of been uh, few and far between that you've encountered that could be helpful to know? Um, those are probably my three main ones um probate i just i do a lot of probate i work with the probate office a lot um and it's different too for different counties Mm -hmm. so chester county and lancaster county they're a lot similar but there are differences so i just work really closely with those departments and i have the same person that i call when i have questions excellent what's the craziest thing you've encountered in real estate what's the what's the uh, most outlandish story you got to share with us today oh my gosh put you on the spot I can't think of anything oh, right now. I walked into this house and this crazy lady was eating ravioli out of a can. <laughs> Not warmed up? Nope. <laughs> Straight out of the can. Okay. And there was mayonnaise and banana sandwiches there too. Cool. Well, hey, let's talk uh, for just a few minutes before we wrap up uh, about your team. Kind of give us a rundown of, uh, you know, since we've had you on the show last, you have uh, built up a uh, a fantastic team to to service your clients to kind of uh, bring a, a wider um, 
level of expertise to the clients that you serve. Tell us about your team and uh, and what's been taking place. So we're a brand new team. So I think uh, the director of operations has been there four months. Uh, Melissa Vess has probably been there four months. And Grayson Ramsey's our newest member. Um, and she's been there maybe two months. So we're still learning each other. We're still teaching systems and getting to know how each of us operate, where our strengths are, um, where our weaknesses are, and how we can offset each other. Um, I like to have big visions but sometimes I don't like the minute details that go into that. So for me, it's really nice to have somebody there who can dig into the detail of how things need to be. And I see this this picture. But I truly believe to have an effective team, you've got to make the perfect circle. And you've got to have the, the strengths to make those quadrants work, to form that, that shape, to make it whole. So what does that do for your clients? Like how, how, does, how does having a team, of, uh, a director of operations, a couple buyers, agent, put yourself – what um how does that translate into service for your clients so um i do more listings than i really work with buyers it seems that that's just how it happens um and then my director of operations does a lot of our client uh, care things so for me it's more of being able to lead gen lead generation, talking to people, making the phone calls that I need to make to bring more business to the team while getting someone else to schedule inspections, let people know when the inspections are, schedule the closing. So those things we have leveraged out to our director of operations so that our agents can do more lead generating and making those calls and making those sales, making appointments for showings so that we can do more hands-on with our clients directly instead of more of the behind the scenes type work that needs to happen. Yeah, a lot of more direct face-to-face right. communication, education, kind of hand-holding your clients through the process. You're able to do a lot more of that while Correct. your director of operations handles all the, the minutia, as you call it. I didn't say that. You did. I did not. The small minutia, yes. The, the behind the scenes. The behind the scenes. <laughs> Guys, the same thing, right? Um, what else? Uh, what has having a team allowed you um, – to do more of uh, when it comes to servicing your clients? So we've just been able to have more long-term communication plans set up. So for us, it's not, you know, you don't become a client and then we forget about you. Once you're team outlaw, you're always team outlaw. And so we want to remember those clients and their friends and their family. And just like Thanksgiving, we have a pie event. And so people that bought a house from us two years ago, we're still communicating. We still have that time. We still have um, those connections and can still have those communications while still assisting the clients that we have now. Right. What are your growth plans for 2020? So our goal for 2020, which is huge, um, but our goal is to do $20 million in volume. It is to do 120 transactions. So the goal is to help 120 families into new homes. Right. That is a fantastic goal. Yes. Uh, you know, I, what is your outlook on on the market in 2020? What do you think about it? So we've been keeping an eye on that, and, you know, we kept hearing about a shift. We were going to see a shift in quarter four of 2019, and I have my market trends set up in um, 
in my database so that I look at York, Chester, and Lancaster counties. And so ever since school started back last year, so in last August, we are seeing more price reductions than we're seeing new listings on the market, which tells me that houses are staying on the market longer. Because before and during the summer, there were no price reductions. Houses were going very quickly. So this has been a common theme since last August, and I've been paying really close attention to it. Um, But since the new year, we've seen that change. So now there's more listings than there are price reductions, but it's not off by much. But now that we're getting into the spring, hopefully, we're getting February, March, and April, we'll see that, that gap have a further spread, which would make me feel a whole lot more comfortable. Yeah, I, I think the spring season uh, started in January. Yes, for this year, and, and it's interesting to to, to have that um, uh, statistic that you just came out with because yeah, I think it was around you know August last year. You started hearing a lot of pundits talk about you know recession, recession, recession. Obviously, that didn't uh, come to to pass. Uh, we've had no recession. We've continued to have a strong market overall um and just from from an uh economy standpoint and i think that feels like it's going to continue certainly um things continue to trend very well in the uh overall economy i think that'll translate to uh to uh the continued spring housing market yeah i don't think that we are headed towards the shift that some of our peers in other parts of the country have had now there are other parts of the country that they've had a shift it's now a buyer's market more so than a seller's market but i don't think that's so for us we have charlotte we're bedroom communities to two of the biggest largest um cities in the Carolinas, between Charlotte and Columbia, we have one of the fastest-growing counties in the nation right now. Um, we've got an abundance of new development coming to Lancaster County, and I could only imagine that companies like Lennar and Major Developments, they have statisticians that are constantly looking at the market flow, and they're not going to be building or planning developments if that market isn't going in an upward trajectory. So I have to think they're smarter than me and rely on that. Of course not. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, I, I think one thing that anybody should be able to agree on is that uh, real estate is, uh, at its core, a, a local a, a local market. Um, yes. uh, you know, national markets can, can ebb and flow. Uh, from a local perspective, I think our market is uh, very solid. And, uh, you know, you hear uh, some of these pundits again. I, I think uh, politics has entered a little bit too much into the, the punditry of talking about economics um, and, and even even the housing market, uh, I think uh, some kind of whether you're on the left or right, want things to go bad or want things to be be good, and, instead of just looking at the basic facts of where we are at uh, from an economy standpoint. But I think, um, and I, I don't want to get into politics, but I think any time that we come up to a big election year, I think that's going to have a play in yeah. the real estate market slightly. And election years are are uh, 24/7 365 now. It seems like Almost, yes, but right? I mean we've got our big presidential election, yeah. not just the local For sure. Seat. But I just meant that uh it seems like even the presidential race now starts 3 years yes, before they Yes, it seems like it doesn't end. Right. Yes, no, so. I totally agree. So but you know, um the state of the union address, it had a lot of good statistics. A lot of good statistics with employment yeah. uh, across all all industries and races and ethnicities. It was such great news. So I feel like we're we're safe and and being in the area that we are, 
I'm, I'm very confident that our real estate market will not see definitely looking dip. good definitely room to grow which is which is a good thing and so we hope uh and uh think and believe that 2020 is going to be a a fantastic year and we certainly hope it is for you we appreciate you tuning in give us a call anytime after the show 704-999-6646 i'm your host brandon colbert we've had melanie outlaw here in studio with us we appreciate your time we will catch you next saturday you've been listening to carolina's mortgage radio with brandon colbert fort mill rock hill and diga k's number one show for mortgage and real estate Call Brandon at 704-999-6646 or visit Brandon Kohlberg online at carolinasmortgageradio.com. Join Carolina's Mortgage Radio again next Saturday morning beginning at 9 a.m. right here on WRHI FM 100.1.